Last but not least, we have um, Sajiv Isteri, Clive Hogarth, and Lynette Kellett from the Research Working Party. Sajiv is currently employed at Renata Insurance, where he joined in 2014 and is responsible for managing the actuarial and risk functions. He has worked in the life, reinsurance, and short-term insurance industries in many different roles, having gained experience in solvency assessment and management, capital management, reserving, product development, and pricing and risk management. Sajib served on ASSA Council as a student representative in 2011 to 2012. Clive Hogarth is a non-life actuary with five years of non-life experience. He's a consultant at Milliman dealing with a variety of issues, including pricing, reserving, various SAM work items, mergers and acquisitions. Lynette is the head of the second line actuarial at Mutual and Federal. Her oversight covers all subsidiaries and entities in South Africa and the rest of Africa. Lynette has extensive experience in financial risk management. Lynette has a passion for research and is the chair of the ASSA STIC Research Committee. She is also a member of the STIC Professional Guidance Notes Workstream. The STIC Reserving and Capital Working Party strives to produce research that is helpful to the industry. The Working Party comprises of short-term industry professionals involved in a wide range of actuarial work. The Risk and Capital Management Survey was conducted to get an overview of risk and capital management practices and to gauge the, in the industry's maturity in light of SAM implementation in 2017. Hi, I'd just like to thank everyone for staying until the very last presentation. It's much appreciated. And we'll try to make it short so that you can go home and <laughs> have a good evening. Okay, so we're going to cover the risk and capital management survey, but before I start, I'd just like to cover a few things just in terms of the general research committee. So our purpose is to produce useful research, and we value any proposals and suggestions on topics from the industry. And we also provide topics to masters and honors students at universities. So if there's anyone from the industry who would like to propose any topics in that regard as well, then it would be appreciated if you could just send it on to me. And then, just a heads up, we'll be doing a technical provision survey at the start of, more or less the start of next year. We're still working on it, but it will be coming through to you soon. And then the last bit on the general things, just if anyone would like to get involved in the working group, uh, they can also get in, in touch with one of us. And then, sorry, almost. <laughs> then just an overview of the survey, I would just like to thank everyone who participated. We got 34 responses overall. 80% of the employees were employees of general insurance companies and the rest were consultants. And 76% of the respondents were part of a group which contains a, a life insurance company. And then 21% of companies outsourced their risk function. And just to make it a little bit more interesting, I just want to read you a quote. So it's from Mitch Ratcliffe. He said, computers have enabled people to make more mistakes faster than almost any invention in history, with the, with the possible exception of tequila and handguns. <laughs> so I hand over to Steve and Clive. Thanks. Afternoon, everyone. So probably one of the things we looked at was, if you look at the... Oh, Ben. <laughs> So what we first looked at, one of the questions in the survey was, what resources are you dedicating to it? Now, what's interesting is this room is, I think, around about 200 to 300 people. At the moment, for the 34 people, so not the entire industry, 
Apparently 110 resources are dedicated towards Pillar 1 work, 95 of those being actuary related. So I realized not the entire industry is here, and not everyone is attending it, but that would basically be cut this room in half, and half of you are doing SAM capital requirements. So we have to ask the question, what are actuaries doing other than SAM at the moment? I think, I think it's expected, if you look at Pillar 2 and Pillar 3, there's still a lot of resources dedicated to it, but significantly less actuarial people. Obviously, we're better at maths than words, but I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. So I mean, what are we doing with all these resources? And the first, okay, the, sorry, our slides seem to have changed there. <laughs> okay, sorry, our slides have changed a bit of order, so but I'll fix it in. So just quickly on the SCR timelines. If you look at what you can tell from the slide, and I've tried to highlight some of the more important factors from the slides, is most companies are taking two weeks to complete their SCR. So their quarter, quarterly template they're submitting is taking two weeks. There's one lucky person who said it was less than a day, and four people who said it takes them one to two days. So if you actually look at it, a large amount of resource time is being spent trying to complete the SAM SCR. So if you're looking at it, this is an automated process, this isn't business as usual yet for the industry. This is still a significant volume of work. Most people are reviewing it. They're giving about two to three days for people to review it. So you are seeing that there is at least some review that's happening on the calculations. The challenges experienced, I think people today have talked about some of the challenges. So what you see is the bar charts. That's the average. The blue dot is the mode. For those of you like me struggle with statistics, the mode is the most frequent response that people give. Given you could only rate them from one to five, most people gave data as their most challenging response. So a lot has been said about is data improving, when will we get to good data? It doesn't look as though many of us are helpful, well, optimistic that we're going to get there. Probably fortunate what we're seeing as well, resources is also an issue. I don't think that's expected. I know very few actuaries in this room, at least none of my friends are saying they're underworked and have got free time. Fortunately, most of us seem to have actually got a grip and understanding of the technical specification and what is required. If we just look then now at the information that's been given to the board, vast majority of people are actually giving very limited information to the board. If you look at it, most funds will do an SCR cover with an SCR owned funds and a breakdown by risk type. Um, there are only 24% that are giving some detail in the methodology, which is actually interesting, particularly if you look at some of the case studies that we looked at today, is we're spending two weeks doing the calculations, which means we're obviously having challenges. In two weeks, you're not doing an automated calculation. So maybe we actually do need to communicate more to the boards and some of the uncertainties that are there. But for most of it, we've been able to escape with a very small, here's our SCR number, trust me, I'm good at my work. <laughs> if you look at it, and I think this follows on from the pre previous slide, is we looked at what people answer to so when they're estimating the SCR. Given it takes two weeks, you can't just automatically produce a calculation. So what are, what are people updating when they're doing the calculation? And what we've seen is people updating their premium and reserving information as well as the asset information. And I don't think it's a surprise to anyone, but very few people are updating the exposure information, which is actually, to me, that's quite a thing. So that's where a challenge for all of us is. If you look at it historically in the short-term industry, we went from 7% IBNR, 15% of premiums, to now, please can you aggregate your exposure by business class and postal code? And at least what I'm seeing from this is we're all struggling to actually get that done. The other thing the survey looked at was how does the SCR compare to profitability? I think a lot of people, when they look at it, you know, 
your SCR number never affects the, the IFRS reporting standard. So never, uh, everyone will fight about your IBNR reserve to the nth degree because that affects the underlying profit. No one's yet fighting that much about the SCR perhaps, but for most of us our SCR is 12 times our annual profitability. What you can say is the people on the left either have got really good at doing their capital calculation or they write really profitable business. You can choose which one you want to believe. But think what, if you think about it, if you're looking at a company from a dividends perspective and it takes four years or more to make back the profits on your SCR, if you make a 5% error in your SCR, that means you've got 20% of your profits now need to be dedicated to building up your asset base to maintain your solvency. Small mistakes here can actually mean quite a lot, and for a lot of it, it is a lot. It can make a big difference. Um, I guess also we're quite good at internal rate of return calculations, but a lot of us aren't banks and we're not making huge <laughs> margins and profits. Probably the biggest thing I've looked at from this survey is the deferred tax allowance. And if you look at it, this probably split the industry pretty much in two. 50, roughly 58% of the industry doesn't consider the deferred tax and doesn't make any allowance for it, whatever. The rest of us do make some allowance for it. So when you're discussing this with your board, and it was one of the things I mentioned on the board is, maybe you do need to say, well, we do or don't. What allowance do you make for the deferred tax asset? And if you look at it, the allowances people are making actually range quite significantly. Um, you've got some respondents, sorry, these are rounded off to the nearest 5%, although I will admit someone did say that they made an allowance of 30% of the SCR. So please read the text back. <laughs> but you're having a lot of people either making 5%, 10%, 15%, or up to 28%. If you look at it, that's quite a range of a difference. You can just decrease your SCR by 28%, and other people have chosen not to do it. I think it's an area where we differ as an industry, as perhaps conversations we need to have with our board and actually making a decision. If you look at standard formula fit, um, it's always easy to complain. It's not that easy to find a solution. And most people, I think, decided to say, well, they partially agree with the standard formula, and 12 people said yes, they agree with it. There are lots of people who disagree with the standard formula, and I don't think you'll ever get a perfect standard formula fit. But where we've seen the biggest issues that we, people raised were reinsurance and profitability. I think on the reinsurance side, if I put my own views on it, is the FSB helped a lot of us with that standard worksheet they sent out. And you might find some of us actually now battling in that we're trying to force our business through that standard workbook. And maybe there's a bit more allowance in the tech spec to say you can make allowance for more complicated reinsurance structures. And it's somewhere where perhaps ASIC can go. I know if you compare it, for those of you that I can't rip off life actuaries, but for those of you that work with life actuaries, they're allowed to build their own profit models entirely from scratch, virtually. I mean, they do have to comply with the technical specification. I think a lot of time in the short-term industry, we try and comply with the FSB workbook that was published, and maybe there's actually room for us to move a bit away from it, still comply with the technical specification, but you don't have to use the FSB workbook. It's only ever a helper tool. And the second point on profitability, I think anyone who's attended those Pillar 1 subcommittee meetings, that was always a that was always a fight. Um, you're allowed to make allowance for it in your technical provisions, but when you're looking at your capital requirements, you have to assume 100% loss ratio. I guess that there's not going to be a solution for that shortly, so we're just going to have to live with it or try and keep fighting. But I'll hand over to Sanjeev, who will take us through the rest of the slides. Well, 
Thanks, Clive. Um, I know I'm probably standing between some tequila. Hopefully, no hand grenades for everybody. <laughs> so, um, in terms of uh, a full calculation of the SER, uh, it seems like majority of the industry conducts quarterly recalculations. Uh, there have been some who are doing monthly, uh, sometimes even semi-annually uh, calculations of, of, the, of the full SER. Um, in terms of use of internal models, um, probably not very clear in the little blue graph on the left-hand side, but majority of the, the industry is using the standard formula to calculate the SER for regulatory purposes. Uh, in, in this survey, there were only six companies that said that they were using an internal model for that. However, it was seen that the majority of the industry actually do use internal models for other purposes, mainly for capital management, stress testing, and for scenario testing. So a lot of the economic capital requirements. How economic capital requirement from the industry is seen by um, majority, as we spoke about, an internal model, or a combination of the standard formula and an internal model. Um, Seems like people do use little tweaks and little adjustments to the standard formula to, to actually do their economic capital calculations. Uh, but it seems like there's some sort of combination. No one's really gone full out, um, or not a majority of the industry has gone full out to create one from scratch. Software used to calculate the different components of the SER um, in terms of the standard formula. Uh, outright, if I were to combine uh, all the FSB published workbooks and modifications to them, it seems that the industry is still using Excel as a tool to do the calculations. Uh, in terms of internal models, uh, the largest software used is currently Rometrica. And in terms of the economical, uh, economic capital requirements, calculation is still based in Excel and then following Rometrica. Stress testing, um, how, how is it conducted? Based on capital models, as seen by the tweaks they've done in, in their um, sort of workbooks that they get from the FSBs. Um, but most people also seem to consider specific events and using the SAM SER. Um, and also deterministic Excel scenarios. Um, the industry also showed a large majority, close to 70%, actually use the FSB guidance um, and a little bit of their own selections to do their stress testing, uh, where 31 just kind of run their own stress tests. Reporting, um, in the survey, I think we asked, like, besides the ORSA, what other reports go to the board? Um, there have been indications that people do give risk metrics, uh, capital reports, the actuarial function reports, and an internal risk report. Um, and an indication of how frequently are people updating their OSA. Uh, majority said they do do it annually. Uh, there, will be, there have been some cases that do it semi-annually and quarterly. Number of pages. Um, seems like the majority of people are running around the 50 to 100 page as an average number count of, of an OSA. Um, I know my board doesn't like very long, big documents, so, so I think it will be floating around that number too. Risk appetite. Uh, majority of the industry has a defined, formalized risk appetite. Uh, it is generally included in the also report that goes to the board. Um, and about 80% updates their risk appetite annually, and the remainder doing it uh, ad hocly when they do require it. Um, in terms of the level of detail that goes to the board in terms of uh, risk appetite, um, majority of the industry does say that they do do a high level target per risk appetite metric, so a link between the risk appetite metrics and reporting to them. 
Limiting thresholds, thresholds in terms of risk metrics, um, in terms of frequency of how they've been updated is annually, and they seem to be quarterly majority being done in terms of monitoring. Uh, interest, interestingly enough, the number of risk metrics that are used in their um, sort of also reports or their risk management uh, range from majority going from one to 10, um, and a small portion have almost close to about 100, um, but yeah, 11 to 100. I think I saw in the survey there was one that had 50 in there. So, so just to sum up, um, a very quick presentation. Um, majority of the industry is using the SAM standard formula. An area that uh, you know, Clive touched on that we think that may be an area that we may look at is looking at the deferred tax asset um, and also around the approach around how reinsurance is used in the standard formula. Um, internal models are definitely used in our industry, not so much for regulatory purposes, but more so for economic capital requirements. Um, and yeah, and it, the survey do, does definitely show that there is a large diversity in terms of risk management practices, ranging from companies that are still in the infancy stages right up to very risk mature appetites. Um, just want to quickly add, um, the working party members are the ones listed over here. So I don't think uh, anybody from the working party is here. You can stand up and take a bow. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, yeah, uh, if you have any questions, you're welcome to contact us. Thank you.